0: Hi everyone and welcome to the BJS podcast. I'm Elian, Um, I'm a software engineer working in open source, I'm in the core team of Astro. Um, I love Belgium, I love beer, and I'm here with Eamon. Eamon, please introduce yourself.
1: Hi, I'm Eamon, I'm the founder of BJS, I'm a front-end developer based in Brussels. And I also like beer. Like a lot. <laughs> cheers.
0: So, <you> know. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> cheers. Of course, we're not just, it's not just us two. We also have a guest with us. Eamon, do you want to introduce our guest?
1: Yes. So today we are happy to have Ujwal with us, which is the uh, co-chair of the TC39. And I will let him introduce himself.
2: Thank you, Eamon and Alien, for introducing me. Yeah, uh, I'm Mujwal. I work on compilers and programming languages, mostly around web standards in Egalia, uh, also sort of currently co-chairing TC39 and co-editing a document uh, that does part of the API. So yeah, I, I love to sort of work on different sides of, of programming language design, and I love to talk about these at, at conferences and podcasts like yours, so it's always a pleasure.
0: Yeah, thanks for being here. Um, first of all, you start with TC39. Um, for people that never heard of something like that, what is TC39?
2: Yeah, that's uh, one of the more descriptive names that we use, right? Uh, <laughs> TC39 is, uh, well, a, a technical committee of ECMA International that's uh, a standards body for European computer manufacturers, fun, uh, sort of started uh, doing different computer standards, right? Like uh, CDs and stuff. And now, here we are <laughs> with the web. So, uh, yeah, in in ECMA, uh, there's these committees that design programming languages, including TC thirty nine that specifically oversees JavaScript. So the JavaScript language, all of uh, semantics, the syntactic sort of uh, details around the language, how the different API functions behave, uh, and also ultimately test suites, right? So uh, to make sure that every browser, every other JavaScript engine is is compatible with each other is an important work of the committee.
0: Right, yeah, that sounds amazing. Um, and also you work at a company called Ilgalia? And how does that relate to TC39? Yeah,
2: so EGALIA is uh, a, an open source consultancy. I am really glad you mentioned your open source background. So we are all mm-hmm. sort of uh, hype men for open source, right? Like Definitely. I, I, I personally love so many different open source communities, especially around JavaScript. What EGALIA mm-hmm. does is specifically consult with with various organizations uh, on different open source projects and in our case, in the case of our team working on JavaScript and WebAssembly and all these different programming language okay. environments and, and standards. So yeah, there's a lot of feature work uh, to be done on various open source projects like the kernel or say the the JavaScript spec in my case or V8, mm-hmm. Chrome, all of these projects and Igalia tries to, um, essentially provide a home for mm-hmm. in- engineers like me to uh, work on these projects uh, yeah. without having to care about the different trappings that come with open source, right? worrying about setting yeah. your own channels of, of uh, remuneration or, or working at different companies. Uh, instead, you can just hang around with other consultants. And uh, that's, that's one of the fun aspects of it, I think
1: yeah yeah
0: definitely wow sounds really fun
1: yeah uh i mean um you you talked about the tc39 um but uh can you tell us a bit more about how it works who are the people that are involved with the tc39 etc
2: definitely like tc39 uh by itself is just um referring to a specific standards group right so it's a It's a formal committee. There's obviously, like, as you mentioned, I'm a co-chair. There's a group of elected chairpersons. There's documents that they produce, which are produced by editors mostly. Uh, But on the whole, uh, the the actual day-to-day technical work of TC39 is done by just the group of people who are involved in this. So there's different Mm -hmm. delegates for different uh, companies. You can have browser vendors like Google, Mozilla, Apple, and so on, and also like all sorts of different stakeholders, right? You have Bloomberg on the committee, you have uh, Salesforce on the committee, and so on. So different subject area experts, different delegates for various sort of stakeholders in the web at large come together in in this singular venue. It could be the GitHub organization, could be one of the meetings uh, to discuss the future of our programming language. One of the most important aspects of The web at large, but uh, especially JavaScript, is that everything needs to be done uh, in a way that doesn't break the web, most importantly, and also in a way that is agreeable to the largest set of people who are responsible for working on this and with this language, right? So that has to take into account uh, engine developers, uh, sort of academics or programming language researchers who are interested in the various aspects of how to develop this kind of because think about this, like we are all uh also JavaScript developers at large, right? And and we are part of this huge social experiment of this shared language that <laughs> has to work uh, across communities, across different groups of people and and across everything. These days I, I think it's hard to find any class of software that doesn't have any bit of JavaScript involved. So uh to to essentially make sure that everybody has a say in the process. The committee has various meetings. Uh, we have GitHub, as I mentioned, is, is where most of the actual work goes on. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, basically everybody who's contributing on GitHub at large and then more specifically, the, the smaller set of people who attend meetings form the main sort of core of, of TC39.
0: Wow. Wow. I, th- I think that's, yeah, that's a lot. So it basically means that if I want to add something to JavaScript as in the language, I would come to you and propose something. How does that work? Like I have an idea, where do I start?
2: Well, there's there's really a lot of ways where you can start. So essentially every big change in the JavaScript language goes through a, a special process. We call it the stage process of TC39. It's something that we're, actively changing over the course of time uh, as as uh, requirements develop. But essentially, it, it is a, a stage process that goes through various stages of a proposal, make sure that we don't skip anything or like, you know, there's there's nothing that we've overlooked, so to say. There's a lot of review involved in the various stages. Uh, and, and to kick off any of these proposals, essentially what you need to do is just write a document, right? You yeah. have to write some explainer, some... Some different uh, sort of ideas that that people could think about. So to start, and the most important aspect, I feel, of any proposal, to start a proposal may be in the form of a blog post or just a document that you've written down by your hand, uh, is a problem statement. Like, that's the most important thing. Uh, In TC39, we actively actually try to discourage people from thinking about solutions before problems. The first... Stage of the process, therefore, is oh. only about the problem. Because you see, like, when the, the definition of anything going from stage 0 to stage 1 is is not in any way talking about any solution at all, but is instead acknowledging that this is a problem that needs to be addressed. So, um, for example, there may be certain proposals that you can think about where it's, it's very, like... Uh, Aim towards a very specific solution, uh, I, I, I can assure you that this is sort of uh, either discouraged or, or is already not the case where most I- ideas in TC39 actually start out as a problem that needs to be solved in the language or in, yeah. in the way people write JavaScript, right? So that's that's the absolute basic. After that, after you've reached first stage uh, for which like to formally reach that, you would need to then actually see, like, who's on this committee. One of the delegates could actually champion your proposal to, to take it there. Um, yep. It's it's We can later talk about the various ways. You can find out who's on the committee and talk to people. But mm-hmm. basically, once you've reached there, you can start talking about solutions. You can talk about possible solutions, their implications in terms of, like, runtime cost about uh, the semantics that they would have. Now, at stage one, you start ideating about what a solution could look like. But still, it doesn't need to have a a really, like, uh, finalized solution, if you will. It it just needs to have the shape of a solution at which the committee would say, hey, like, this is starting to look good. It looks like you're covering your bases. You have some solutions in mind. And with that, it enters stage two. And then at stage two, you have to, like, really come down. You have to select one solution and and really flesh out exactly how it works, exactly how everything behaves, at at what point it it sort of gets finally reviewed like for a feature, right? And then uh, considered it stage three, at which it starts getting implemented in various browsers and engines and uh, tools like Babel if Mm -hmm. if they need to. Um, And then after the stage three is complete, like you get all sorts of feedback from users, from people implementing, everything is green. Uh, it's, it's finally like added to the spec. So now it's part mm-hmm. of the programming language in general.
1: Wow. That's, awesome. a, lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of stages to just
2: <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're uh, introducing a new one actually in between it's it's, uh, okay. yeah, yeah. It's, it's going to be fun. Uh, we just finished a meeting actually last week and, uh, one of the discussions was about uh, some of the problems that we have encountered throughout our, our course of work mm-hmm. using these stages, right? Temporal, for example, uh, is is a proposal we were be- uh, just chatting about. It's one of the largest changes, single big changes to the JavaScript language and additions to the JavaScript language, yeah. Uh, it's it's the biggest change in general since ES6, I hear. Uh, it's definitely the biggest proposal. So the a lot of the challenges logistical challenges as well as like you know social uh or mm-hmm. I, I don't know like uh, uh challenges in terms of uh complexity uh were introduced by temporal that we hadn't thought about so uh people are now adding a, a new stage uh, to the tc39 process that would actually separate out uh some of the the existing second stage so uh The testing, for example, will Mm -hmm. now be done. Like, I I skipped that part, I I guess, during my whole spiel. But uh, (laughs) in there, obviously, there's a part at which you have to write detailed tests to make sure that the people who are actually implementing this in in various engines can actually test their implementation, right? So uh, there's there's all these different phases that need to be actually gone through in order to actually introduce a feature because... um, yeah, <laughs> otherwise we risk deviating away from each other.
0: Wow, of course. Yeah, I mean, like, the process of doing the stages and such is very comparable to, like, what we do at Astro. I don't know if you ever saw what we do, but we also have an open roadmap, and it's very, very, like, kind of the same attitude. That's really cool to hear.
2: Yeah, definitely. I, I think I have seen firsthand how useful this kind of process is because it gives a lot of different points at which people can review things. I feel that in in many organizations where I've worked without like a structured process like this, things can sometimes like slip under the radar can go past without sort of getting the kind of eyeballs it needs. Whereas in this kind of a, a, a sort of stage process or a step process, you get to think about it in different terms throughout the different stages. Right. So it really forces you to think, in in different aspects also about a a
0: certain thing. Yeah, exactly. And I also think it gives yourself, like if I was to propose something and it goes to stage one, you start thinking about other stuff and you start adding and you start thinking and you start like your proposal gets way better over time. And because of that, that stage system just takes some time to implement. Um, Yeah, I think it's a really good, good thing to do. And I also think that actually more open source projects should like handle that system.
2: Yeah, definitely. I, I think that, um, I, I mean, obviously your mileage may vary depending on the mm-hmm. size of your project Astro is a big one, but then like mm-hmm. maybe for a smaller project, uh, it's, it's too tedious to go through such a large, pro- uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, process. Right. And I, I feel that one of the biggest things, uh, that software projects in general have that, that we do not have the ability to actually make breaking changes, right? Even mm-hmm. if you, you decide to make a, a sort of substantial change and everybody agrees throughout the process, uh, at least you have the ability of making a new major release and sort of breaking some things. Whereas yeah, yeah. Uh, in JavaScript, you just do not have that ability. You have to keep supporting wow. all the legacy stuff. That is, that true. is
0: true. How do you How handle I that? Is it just by doing a lot of tests? That
2: uh among other things i mean there's still so mm-hmm. many inconsistencies because uh, obviously like the the programming uh language and the the development process of it has become more structured and more stricter over time right so there's mm-hmm. uh, obviously a lot of the legacy um uh, existing sort of pathways that are not even good enough to be tested for because mm-hmm. they're just so wildly inconsistent uh but we try our best i mean uh over time, people have concern have basically evolved their understanding of the language as well, right? I mean, the the JavaScript I feel that we write these days uh, with the advent of, say, async await or uh, a lot of these new features, arrow functions uh, mm. are an old one, but still uh, classes and decorators is just so different from JavaScript people used to write, right? There's, uh, when was the last time you used Proto? For example, I don't think, I don't think anyone remembers that. (laughs) You're not lucky in that. way. But uh, I I feel that uh, there's there's all these uh, sides to the language that Mm -hmm. we've grown past, but we cannot grow out of completely because we have to continue supporting it. I mean, even talking about temporal, the funniest thing. Uh, for me would be that date would remain forever, right? And uh, the fact that maybe, just maybe, uh, unless we put like huge banners saying about like how you should not use this API uh, Mm -hmm. on MDN or something, some future developers will just stumble across date and they'd be like, wait, what is this? Uh, Maybe I should try it out. Uh, I don't know how well we can communicate to people that they should not be using this API, for example. But it's, it's mm-hmm. a challenge to not be able to unship. And is that the reason?
1: Like, uh, f- f- so something that I, I learned um, is that, uh, for example, null is a type in JavaScript, right? But if you make a type of uh, null in JavaScript, it gives you object. And uh, do you know what's the reason behind this kind of bug? Because it should be null as it's a type,
2: right? Well, yeah, a type of null is object. I mean, that's, yeah, that's that's one of the classic things in which, like, JavaScript had a very specific design uh, when it was designed and, like, with a very specific way of, like, how the type system would work and, and how people would write code, right? Like, also... What kind of programs would people write? That has mm-hmm. vastly changed uh, over the the life cycle of JavaScript. Now, mm-hmm. uh, obviously, some of the semantics like type of null would never be able to be uh, changed because there are some websites that would always inevitably depend on it. Uh, but that doesn't mean that like these aren't like legacy aspects of our language that really don't make sense anymore. I mean. Uh, the it's that's that's the whole uh, pain I feel like it's it's just a language that has to evolve with the with the pace of time right I mean I, I think JavaScript of all languages has no options JavaScript, in terms of the ecosystem right like uh, different tools and, and platforms are evolving so fast that JavaScript has, uh basically uh, no option then to evolve fast to accommodate that or risk being uh, given up on by the community, right? People are, are eventually going to get frustrated of language not evolving. However, the the language that is essentially being forced to evolve the fastest doesn't have the ability to actually deprecate any parts of itself. So uh, obviously the complexity over time just, just goes on increasing. I think we've seen this happen uh a few times over with certain programming languages and projects but i think it's certainly interesting just to see it happen with javascript in real time right like it's evolving in front of us in in real time and yet it has a lot of these things holding it back it's a a fun puzzle to solve i think
0: Yeah, I can see definitely, like, you have to think about so much stuff if you can't deprecate something. You have to be really, like, do your thorough research into a feature, into an API, if it will work. Um, and, of course, the, the probably one of the hardest things is also, like, you implement it in the language, but then you're even more dependent on browsers and browser companies to also implement it into the browser and, and to support features like that. Um, how do you, like... Um, I want to say, like, how do you um, tell them what they have to build or what they have to do next?
2: I think the best part about TC39 is this sort of uh, process that that we take in terms of both consensus, uh, all the browser vendors obviously are, are uh, an integral part of every single discussion that we have, yeah. and also just uh, our, our politics in the sense of, uh, you know, being consistent about things, being more... Uh, vocal and 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 be all at the same time being very conservative about things that that we mm. push through in the end. Uh, I I think because of this, it's it's quite obvious and understood. Like what needs to be done at whatever point. Uh, browser engineers are uh, as it turns out even better than us uh, at <laughs> tracking stuff. So uh, they they continue tracking all the different things that we do in the committee. Uh, on their respective bug trackers and so on, include them in their uh, roadmaps and such. But yeah, there is definitely no, like, enforcing power, if you will, in TC39. In mm-hmm. We can't make somebody implement anything, uh, which is why, if you think about it diplomatically or politically, uh, it becomes such an intriguing project and an interesting project, right? Like, we need people, to, uh, very big and, and very diverse set of people, to not only agree about all the things, uh, more or less, right? Uh, I mean, obviously, Mm -hmm. there's no total consensus ever. uh, But also, like, be included enough in the whole process to be able to push through these different things. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, it's not just the implementers. I mean, there's editors, implementations, obviously, uh, need a lot of work, a lot of time. Uh, But all the different aspects, the testing of of different proposals, all of these require different people to actually take charge because, um, as it is, the committee doesn't actually have the ability to go up to somebody and say, hey, can you please do this? So, um, yeah, it's a a social challenge to, uh, you know, make the game theory somehow work so that everybody more or less does what they need to do at the time that it's supposed to be done. Actually, that brings
1: me kind of a question, like, how is the committee um, sponsored or maybe not sponsored, but kind of funded?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The members, which are basically like member companies to ECMA, pay like yearly ECMA dues. So Mm. basically, like, uh, if you wanted to join uh, the committee as a delegate, at the moment, you would need to join ECMA as as an organization. So based on the size of your organization, various different member organizations pay some yearly dues to ECMA that it then like sort of uh, fuels into these different committees, Mm -hmm. including TC39, which is like uh, the most uh, sort of uh, big uh, or or like in scope of work as well as in terms of like driving uh, membership as well as work. Uh, the, The... committee of ECMA. But there's other committees, obviously, like TC53 and so on that also do much interesting work. Like You could check them out. Uh, however, that is obviously just a part of the operational expenses that includes uh, things such as the organizational structure and the secretaries that we have or uh, the uh, uh, transcription service, for example, that we've started using recently. Uh, but still, like uh, the meetings itself need to be uh, hosted by hosts. So different member organizations can host certain meetings. For example, the next year, we have three scheduled meetings, uh, one uh, like with different organizations basically. Uh, mm-hmm. So essentially what you can do is, uh, as a conference or as an organization, uh, you can pitch in and say, hey, I can host a TC39 meeting. Uh, and basically everybody travels through their own expenses. So it's, it's sort of split a, a, at the end of the day how uh, the, the actual sort of funds of, of the operations come from, right? The, the logistical operations are, are taken care of by ECMA and then the, uh, each individual member also is like uh, funding sort of their employees to work, to travel mm-hmm. and so on.
0: Are the meetings that you do in person or are they just online
2: yeah the uh at the moment because COVID happened and everything was sort mm-hmm. of uh shifted up and then eventually like uh we had to switch back and forth so at the moment we have six total meetings uh every two months uh three mm-hmm. of these meetings are currently offline uh, okay. or like hybrid right but with online uh, uh sort of membership but then it's it's uh, actually hosted in in a certain place so at the moment we're doing one in asia one in europe and one in america uh oh, wow. but yeah uh, it, it's it's difficult obviously like the membership of the committee is skewed towards the uh american time zones. so uh, mm-hmm. the online meetings are are more heavily skewed towards the US, but like we still try to uh, uh, have a more sort of split uh, set of venues as well as just be more inclusive in terms of times and so on. But yeah, at the moment, there's three in-person meetings every year. Yeah.
0: How many people are actually on the committee? Uh,
2: that's, a, that's a great question. I, I, I have no like accurate idea. I, I think uh, if you observe the meetings, anywhere between 30 to 50 people are mm. are active at any given point of time in the meetings. So I, I would say that there's at least like up to 60 people who are like regularly wow. attending meetings and then uh, a much bigger set of people when you include people who are uh, mostly active through chat or on GitHub. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, basically like, uh, for example, from my organization, almost all my teammates are registered its delegates so these are uh, a lot of delegates who don't like regularly attend but uh, uh, work on various projects that are in some way connected to tc39 and therefore have access uh to the different documents and such uh but yeah so so uh, quite a few how does how
1: does a proposal go from one stage to another like um so is that kind of a voting system during the meetings, or how does that work? That's the thing.
2: Like, yeah, uh, basically, it needs to come up during one of the uh, synchronous meetings. Like, these are big mm-hmm. meetings, by the way. I don't know if if I told you, like, it's, it's basically uh, during a week, and then there's, on the online ones at least, there's uh, five hours every day for four days in a row. So uh, it can... Get, can overtake your entire week uh, wow. uh, at times. But yeah, different proposals can essentially uh, appear on the agenda for this meeting. There's a, a agenda cutoff date. Like Before then, if you move your agenda item uh, for that uh, particular proposal to the agenda, people would review it and, and be prepared at the meeting. So uh, during the meeting, you can uh, basically give updates about your proposal, or you can propose uh, different things, including advancement, right? So what you would do is essentially propose advancement during the meeting. And the, the actual process, instead of going through some sort of voting and, and simple majority or something like that, uh, we have a consensus process. So instead, right. what happens is that uh, we ask for votes of support. Uh, th- those are always nice to hear. Uh, And also votes of dissent, but uh, essentially any sort of dissenting vote counts as essentially a veto or a a block to the process. right? Oh, wow. So, yeah, Yeah. you have to uh, try to make sure that every single concern that has been raised to you is addressed in every way so that nobody feels uncomfortable about the Mm -hmm. uh, proposal. That is not to say that people... Are never uncomfortable with any of the proposals that pass. Uh, there's many situations that, where I've heard myself within the meeting uh, somebody expressing that they dislike set, certain aspects of a proposal, for example, but would not like to, you know, formally block it because uh, for various reasons, right? Like maybe they feel that they're in the majority. Oh, uh, sorry, <laughs> they're in the minority, and that uh, it's it's fine as long as somebody's uh being happy with this or mm. or if they feel that there is a lot of demand for something, even though they might not feel that it is justified so yep. uh this is a very like personal sometimes social democratic diplomatic thing at the end of the day but the the core idea is that there shouldn't be any stakeholder or any uh person that has has uh, some concern with it uh, that is not addressed, that is essentially uh, o- overlooked because that can create sort of an imbalance of power, right? So uh, it's it's very important because I feel personally, at least, about how the dynamics can be in terms of like market share or I don't know, like how certain products uh, think of themselves in terms of the web, that the web needs to stay consistent despite all of that. So it's very important for not only for everybody to be on board at the same time uh, but also for everybody to have the same say in the process because uh, even a small sort of uh, disagreement can can cause fractures in the web
0: yeah that's the thing like since it's tc39 fractures in the web is a thing that can really happen that is crazy like you have be in such a responsible position that must be really hard and then I have this other question for you is where did you like how did you end up in this position as co-chair of TC39 where did you start coding and how did you get all the point to defining the language that you code in that is
2: that is actually a hilarious story I don't know which how long of it you can go as long as you want but uh, yeah, basically, like, uh, in terms of programming, I, I had always had uh, some degree of fascination with mm. computers and software in particular. Uh, also, like growing up, I felt that I, I had a certain bit of megalomania in me. I, I looked down <laughs> all the software tools I used or games I played, and I was like, okay, yeah. I, I could do a better job than that, obviously. <laughs> uh, eventually, by the time I realized that it was difficult to actually program Uh, I I was already too deep, so I I might as well continue (laughs) learning, right? Uh, So that's how I started learning programming through different sort of uh, aspects. Uh, Mm -hmm. I generally started out making games because that's the only thing I actually wanted to do. But I got frustrated because uh, there's a lot of art involved and, like, music involved. And I I guess I was not that kind of a nerd. So uh, I stuck to (laughs) programming and, and moved to the web, which was amazing because... Uh, a programmer can do anything, right? HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. That's all I needed and uh, all I could do, to be honest, at the time. Uh, and, yeah, like, eventually I started making better websites, started using more advanced tooling, uh, and and participated in more projects, like in open source projects through university groups and so on, uh, until... Uh, how do I put it? Like I I feel that at some point I I reached a a very weird place, sort of personally mm-hmm. and in terms of like my own development. I I started stagnating and thinking like, okay, uh, I can build a website and that's all I need to do, right? So, um, what what's wrong with that? Uh, but I guess what I was lacking was curiosity and and just like sort of drive. So. Essentially, I needed somebody to knock sense into me, and, and <laughs> I met a, a particular like senior from university who knocked some sense into me by saying, like, if I start growing like basically stagnant at any level, there's always levels underneath it. I've just not started looking. So mm-hmm. this this really was a problematic advice. I didn't realize at the time because of what you said, like I would start digging too deep for my own good. But I started well. <laughs> I started work by working on Node.js. Uh, Node was a project that was sort of really important for me to, to understand, like, how open source communities work at scale and, like, how big projects work at scale. Uh, by contributing to Node, I really got to know different people of the JavaScript ecosystem to be at conferences, give presentations about my own work. So that was already exciting to me. Uh, but I always felt like uh, again, like I, I was uh, just a little bit farther from from scratching the surface, right? So I started scratching the surface essentially uh, by digging into v8 and and started bothering mm-hmm. people all across the internet to to teach me how to work on this project. So uh, I bothered a number of V8 engineers who helped me understand the various ins and outs of the engine. And I started working uh, more or less uh, seriously in V8. Uh, this was around the time when I was finishing university also. So I really needed to start looking for a job. And and uh, I finally managed to sort of get a job working on V8 in uh, Egalia. That was sort of the, oh, wow. the most amazing parts of my life when I was introduced to TC39. So TC39 uh was already something that I was starting to become aware of, and was always intrigued by this group of people right i was I was by then still focused on the engine and like its various ins and outs, but I was curious about because of my innate sort of love for javascript right I feel that a lot of people who are engineers okay i I don't wanna throw shade, but like a lot of uh people who work day and night on JavaScript in in one way or another, uh, especially, for example, working on engines or runtimes, do not necessarily care uh, about Mm -hmm. the language, which I mean, to each their own, right? Uh, It's fine if you're writing Rust or Zig or C++, and uh, all you care about is systems programming and building this runtime, but you have to think about JavaScript as well, right? Because you're building tools for JavaScript and i think you need to care about javascript in order to to be a responsible steward of that programming language so i was always fascinated by javascript because of how uh, accessible i feel that it makes programming like i uh, after sort of teaching myself uh, javascript i had to also go through four years at university where i realized how badly you could teach programming to somebody. (laughs) And I I realized like JavaScript is the best thing uh, for me or like in the world because it has made programming accessible for me years ago, years before I was supposed to learn programming and like being a complete idiot, just learning random stuff from the internet. Like if JavaScript can make programming so much easier uh, and if, as people claim, the, the goal here is to like, Make programming accessible to different people, different groups, and in general, make programming like one of the the core skills. Then, then this is the best way to go, right? By not by sort of doing abstract programming language research, but but doing more sort of uh, within the community, uh, digging down of like what people like, what makes things stick, and so on. So yeah, because of this, like in in my. Uh, apparent uh sort of ability to handle diplomatic situations uh Mm -hmm. some of my colleagues started pushing me more and more towards tc39 work and and in general like specifications and so on and it it was obviously very exciting for me to like sort of be at the table to uh be involved in uh well before i knew uh they had completely taken over me like the my work (laughs) schedule uh I was working on TC39 full-time, and then uh, eventually when uh, certain sort of uh, co-chairs uh, who used to be super helpful when I was starting out stepped down, I, I felt that I, I had the sort of moral responsibility to take on their work and, and sort of continue to make this committee a better place to work because I feel that uh, it's it's so important for JavaScript developers uh, all across the world, that the committee keeps functioning, right? Because uh, a non-functional committee actually makes it worse for everyone. Maybe mm-hmm. if if your job is to 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 do something repetitive while the committee works, maybe it's not fun. But like for JavaScript practitioners, it's it's important that we keep working and operating and sort of uh, in, innovating on new stuff. And like,
1: how how? Do... How did you become like the co-chair? Like was that kind of
2: an election process or how does it work? Yeah, so basically what we do, so there's two things here, right? I, I uh there's the formal election process which uh we need to undertake. The idea is that uh we have ballots basically like you present uh, a certain group of people who are all willing to sort of Uh, work together as chair people. And uh, then every single member, and in this case, not a delegate, uh, individual member organization then casts a ballot about who they want in or out, right? Uh, Thankfully, because of how social relations are at the moment in DC39, we don't need that all the time. Uh, What we do instead is that we collect this list of like individuals who we think are, uh, sort of in this willing to work in this position as well as, uh, sort of, uh, you know, be palatable to the committee. And then we present it to the committee and, uh, actually ask for blocks as well. So the idea is that if the committee can collectively agree, uh, for the entire group, then we don't need to actually go down to an election. So, uh, so far like we have had these unanimous elections so that's great i i hope in at no point in the future will they need to call a proper election and then vote me out but uh, uh <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> depends on how i abuse my power <laughs> No, trust me i won't
1: yeah, I remember about that. I remember um, uh, our first conference, when we did our first conference, Ujwal was one of the speakers, and he started his talk by saying, I'm the co-chair of the TC39, which means that if I say something that is wrong, you have to take it as something that is true. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, that that's uh, a card that I'm allowed to use, I'm told. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: I was Damn. on the floor laughing. <laughs>
0: I need I need one of those cards.
2: <laughs> well, we yeah, can talk about actually, how you can get involved. Oh, definitely.
1: Oh, definitely. I'm also interested in getting involved, so yeah. And actually, that's that's a good question. Like how can people get involved?
2: Yeah, so uh, there's really a lot of ways in which you can start getting involved really as as I mentioned there's basically all these documents, right, which are uh, the various proposals as well as the big specs. And all of these documents are hosted on GitHub. All of the discussions around them are on GitHub issues. And while we do use a a few uh, administrative sort of private repositories, none of the actual technical work of TC39 is in any of these private repositories. So all the technical work, all the proposals are out there in the open and I think one of the easiest ways to get started is just by going through the GitHub, right? There's uh, maybe some proposals that are ongoing. Mm-hmm. And if you can find it on GitHub, which I hope you can, like I, we have a website that tries to help you with that. But yeah, there's different <laughs> ways to find these proposals and essentially just jump into their, their discussions. Uh, but if you look deeper, uh, a lot of these proposals, as well as the administrative work that we do in TC39 or technical work that we do in TC39 requires volunteer effort, right? And and a lot of the time it's just the champion who is having some sort of interest in the proposal. But a lot of the time you'll notice that it's just volunteers who don't necessarily care one way or another about the proposals, but are just interested in the technical work. So for example, every proposal that we put through if it's an API proposal, it needs a polyfill and or a ponyfill thing. Uh, for internationalization proposals, we use format JS to sort of offload our work of making polyfills onto them. But uh, they they do a great work of that. Uh, but basically, like every feature needs to be supported in in various places. It could be mm-hmm. uh needed in TypeScript. It could be needed in Babel uh certain proposals regarding modules and their resolution and so on need to be done in different module loaders and bundlers and so on so uh webpack or or what have you like esbuild Um uh, and then apart from that there's a lot of testing that needs to be done the test suite that we use is written in javascript its harness is written in javascript so there's so many projects where you can contribute either from a uh language development point of view, or from a point of view of like, Mm -hmm. I wanna write JavaScript uh, and build tools and stuff, or add support for just random features, uh, or just render like uh, essentially codified version of these proposals that people can try out. Uh, There's playgrounds, for example, like uh, certain proposals you can just go on to a particular website and try them out without actually having to commit anything so there's these different ways in which anybody couldn't get involved and obviously like there's the the higher tier in a way uh if you will like i mean in my opinion there's like no real difference between the different levels of involvement but if you want to specifically attend the meetings then you can join as a member uh like sort of Uh, convince your organization to join as a member and be a delegate. Uh, Or in certain cases, if there's uh, some ongoing work that could really use from your expertise and like the champions recognize you as such, you can be onboarded as an invited expert. Mm -hmm. So there's different ways of getting highly involved or like involved in certain aspects and not the others. Uh, But yeah, there's just a wide variety of people who are, Uh, doing different kinds of work i mean uh, uh for example some of the implementers on the uh different sides right like the the firefox side for example there's multiple implementers who are not even affiliated with mozilla they're just volunteers who want to push more stuff to spider monkey and and more love to firefox
0: yeah it's very relatable to like how we work in astro it's it's kind of the same you you just get involved and if you are involved for or you show enough effort and you do a lot of stuff then we invite you to be a maintainer and from that on you go to being a core maintainer in and, and that system that's really interesting to see that actually tc39 in a way also like does that
2: yeah definitely like tc39 i feel especially due to uh the various stakeholders that are part of it oh. right now and the leadership i i think tries as as much as i it can not to operate as some sort of standards group like ISO yeah. and be very exclusionary yeah. and rather operate as an open source project. Like, exactly. certain a- administrative parts where maybe like we cannot behave completely like an open source project, but I don't see how it's any different than big open source projects like Astro, right? Yeah. Like Astro would also yeah. have like various uh, logistical aspects that need to be handled sort of outside... Uh, the public community but most of the actual work goes on uh, within github and, and so on Public.
1: Job. yes yeah, yeah
2: yeah definitely
1: and um, so you're talking about um, uh, organizations that are members of the TC 30 uh, of the ECMA uh, committee or organization uh, and so our uh, frameworks Part of the EcmA organization as well, or do you collaborate with frameworks such as I don't know, like Next, React, Solid, whatever? Right. So, the... so
2: the answer is that there's various levels to this as well. Uh, now, there's obviously like, for example, Facebook uh, as uh, an organization is a member, mm-hmm. and and therefore can has the ability to attend meetings or or sort of be a part of essentially every proceeding in the TC39 process, right? Uh, so React, for example, being a Facebook project can have this kind of uh, availability and a sort of uh, access to to different things. But uh, e- like, it doesn't matter, like outside of just, you know, organizational setup, uh, we have the OpenJS Foundation. OpenJS Foundation is uh, the... Uh, one of the non-profit members of ECMA, and it, it has uh, a number of uh, different JavaScript projects, including, if I'm not wrong, some frameworks. Uh, so it, it basically, that acts as a way for different people who are involved in these projects to take part in the committee, as well as like, you know, uh, express themselves. For example, there was a long time when uh, Node was in a position where it didn't have enough influence over the direction of the committee's work, uh, but thanks to OpenJS Foundation being on the board, that is not a concern anymore because these different projects yeah. have representation, right? And they can they have access to the committee uh, in that way. But also, um, me and my colleagues, especially my colleagues, let's be honest, I, I'm not working so hard these days, but uh, Romulo, uh, one of my colleagues, does these outreach standards outreach meetings so one of these outreach meetings is uh, called the frameworks outreach meeting uh and and actually like a lot of different people who are involved in different f- frameworks across the web ecosystem uh participate in those meetings and essentially the idea of that meeting is for the organizer for romulo to bring together all these stakeholders these different uh, framework authors essentially and Uh, A few delegates from TC39, he always tries to like uh, see like which topics are going to be of interest to the uh, framework authors and then try to create a discussion there. Right. So, for example, if I'm working on a feature, uh, let's say top level of weight that could have some implications for your framework, for your tool. Uh, we could have like a a particular meeting once a month. Let's say it's once a month, right? Think, uh, to talk about it, right? So, uh, yeah, there's different, and obviously there's uh, the GitHub tracker. So anybody can can put comments on the GitHub tracker, and and you can say, hey, like, uh, this project is actually gonna be affected by your change, and and you should keep this in mind, uh so yeah i i think there is various levels at which any framework for example can get uh sort of uh, involved in the process make sure that uh there's no kind of feature development that works against their goals or sort of uh doesn't fit their their uh, model of like what they're doing
1: yeah awesome and uh my next question is a bit maybe i don't know if it's problematic or no but um <laughs> does does the dc39 has some kind of power over the implementers such as like i don't know chrome the
2: browsers whatever yeah no i i mean i i understand how this could be interesting <laughs> to think about but no i the that's the most funny or like from a social point of view, interesting aspect of TC39 is that we always have to make sure uh, that, uh, you know, people are in a position Humber. to, to uh, are, are basically being incentivized to do what the committee needs them to do because we have no hmm. power over anyone. So we cannot actually make the implementers do anything, which means that if there is a sort of breakdown of, of, of let's say, understanding or breakdown of uh, a diplomacy in some way uh, that could cause the in- in- engines to say things like, hey, I just feel like I'm not going to do this or not do this in a certain way. So we have to make sure that not only do we continue to do our work, but also that the engines, for example, in this case, incentivize to actually also follow through. So their feedback, for example, is taken very seriously. And when engines, like, as I said, the third stage, uh, one of the most important stages, uh, in my mind at least, is essentially completely dedicated to users and implementers, right? So implementers' feedback during these stages is very important. And mm-hmm. uh, so that's one way to make sure that they are getting heard. But, I mean, even before they, they speak their mind out, you have to make sure that they're interested, right? You cannot uh, do things in a way that makes uh, engines uncomfortable with with uh, the the ideas you're making or the things that you're suggesting. So, it's a it's a delicate balance, but we try our best.
0: <laughs> All right, and then I still have like one one last question. Can you tell us about the TC thirty nine proposals that are open now that you yourself are most excited about
2: definitely so well i I mean i couldn't stop talking about this but obviously (laughs) temporal is the one that excites me the most uh in the story one thing that i i didn't mention maybe on purpose no uh didn't mention (laughs) was that the proposal that actually made me switch was temporal temporal at the time was just the biggest thing that was happening in JavaScript in any terms, right? Like in terms of size, in terms of complexity. And uh, obviously, like I, I talk about it in uh, ways that make it sound already finished. But as we know, it's not completely finished yet. So, yes. but I, I can say that it's nearly finished uh, on, on various sides. So most of nice. the time that is it's taking uh, now would be from now on all, at least would be to actually implement it. Uh, I think good luck to all the implementers who are working <laughs> on it now. Uh, it's a big change, as I said. Uh, it's going to be hard to test, hard to do in various ways, and it just opens up well, a big uh maybe, um, maybe, for people can... that don't know, can yeah, I, exactly. can you explain what Temporal is? Like yes. in a short? Uh, so Temporal is... Uh, uh, a project that evolved out of a very simple idea. A simple idea that could, at the time, be summarized in five points. So uh, one of the prominent authors of Moment, uh, Maggie, uh, who worked at Microsoft at the time, uh, was obviously upset. And like uh, the maintainers of Moment in general were upset because of how things had turned out. And what they had felt was going to be uh, a, a small band-aid uh, of a project to to help JavaScript developers ended up becoming the de facto date-time library for JavaScript, right? Like, I, I, I can think of people just using Moment out of habit after a point because they knew how terrible Date was. And so uh, Maggie, in, out of frustration, wrote a blog post about the five big problems with Date, five problems that made Date completely unusable, and what needed to be solved on an urgent basis, so uh, temporal would go down eventually as one of the like most popular in terms of like you know people supporting it, people being in favor mm-hmm. of it. Proposal in JavaScript, so uh, almost immediately there was a lot of support. The big problem was who's going to do uh, basically this large amount of work, uh, which is to either fix date, which eventually they realized. It's not gonna be possible because you cannot break date, right? So the only way to fix date would be to do it from scratch and then just uh, demotivate people from using the old date. Uh, But also over the course of the project, the scope increased and increased and increased, right? So it started with this idea, as I said, of overcoming the shortcomings of date. And then uh, slowly the idea became, well, what would a modern day time library look like? Because the problem with date, uh, if you don't remember like what's uh, deeply problematic about date is that date when it was released in 1995 was considered bad five years before that. Like it was more than five years outdated when at launch. So, because it was part of, uh, well, basically it was copied completely from Java and then almost nearly instantly Java changed date. So uh, they updated their date, we couldn't, uh, forever. Uh, and and this meant that basically already by 1996 or seven, Java had a better date implementation because they were using a new one. Uh, and they went on to update it twice. Like now we have Jota time. So essentially the idea became what is going to be, like thinking about in terms of 2018, 2019, what is a modern datetime library look like? So they started looking at various different datetime libraries, different tools and techniques that they had learned from Moment, obviously from the JavaScript universe, but also picking up ideas from, say, Luxon, which was sort of their uh, next uh, futuristic idea, right? And also the Rust datetime, like Trono, uh, from Abseil in C++. And so they started formulating these different ideas and, and really converging on what a uh, uh, modern type scripty even, because uh, a lot of Microsoft influence and Bloomberg influence. And also just like the idea of like not doing, being, because you know, like the problem with date uh, arithmetic and types is that the complexity blows up so fast that it's, it's hard to contain it. So uh, the decision to actually stick to discrete types, right? Instead of having one, temporal type that can be anything we have. Uh, on the other hand, like date, date time and then year, month, Monday, all these different uh, ideas came about and eventually it became so much more than that. Right By the end, temporal was basically about what can the future of date time look like? So in the end, for example, one of the big things that I'd been working on personally and I had to essentially put the temporal proposal on hold uh, or, or sort of uh, avoid it from being shipping in different browsers uh, was to standardize the new timestamp format that we invented out of scratch. So mm. we had to go on and invent a new timestamp format. As it is, Temporal aims to support almost all third party or like let's say uh, non Gregorian international calendars that are supported by ICU. So already you have a, a, a an API that thinks in nanoseconds. That that sort of does all these interesting type uh reflection as well as uh supports all international calendars That that's something that really hasn't been discussed before so i think with that temporal eventually became this beast of a proposal that it is now and some people are scared of its size but i mm-hmm. i'm happy because i i think yes if you if you go by these standards maybe we don't talk about a date-time API again for maybe 20 years at least. So at least for the next 20 years, I'm happy we'll have a, a, a decent API that represents the use cases of the present.
0: Is there any like time-framing yet, like when it's will kind of be ready to ship?
2: I, I think, uh, as I said, like one of the things that shipping was essentially blogged on mm. uh, was the standards work in ITF, about the timestamp that has been done now. The RFC is being published, but uh, apart from that it's past all the approvals process. Uh, there's also just the question of implementing it. So it's hard to estimate how long mm. it would take for different engineers and teams to implement it. Uh, on the other hand, like we're going through the final stages of like the review and like bug fixing processes on the spec side. So I think I, I, I've I been wrong on this so many times. Like I have I keep giving people timelines and it keeps failing. <laughs> but I, I think I can say that uh, within the year, Temporal should start shipping really? in, in browsers across the world. Yeah, oh, because wow. I, I think there's so many, um, uh, like uh, the last meeting, we actually did a survey and, and uh, a sort mm-hmm. of audit of the tests and like the different tests that were running on the engines. And uh I think it was Spider Monkey that, that was passing what seventy percent or more of the tests and uh, all the other engines were coming in uh short behind, right? So GSC and V8. And obviously like uh just the percentage of tests that pass doesn't completely prove anything because we don't test for features specifically. Uh but still it's it's a good sort of uh, indication that it's starting to be done, really done mm-hmm. in certain engines. If you are a Serenity OS fan, I think you might see it very soon because uh, they've had it implemented for a while and in their lib.js engine. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it, it's coming along.
1: So cool. And uh, do you have another uh, proposal that uh, you Definitely. are excited about?
2: Definitely. I think uh, finally, after jumping around a bit, uh, as I said, like I was very drawn to Temporal, I have found another proposal that I work on now that I'm similarly drawn to. Uh, It's called Intel uh, Message Format. So it's going to be an internationalization feature. That's how you know that it's closer to my heart. I've just been uh, really focused on the internationalization side of JavaScript recently. And essentially what this is supposed to be is, is the ultimate sort of state, uh, Swiss army knife for internationalization. So if you've noticed over the course of the years, we have added a lot of really useful APIs to internationalization. You have number formatting to format numbers. You have ways to format date times, which is gonna include support for all the temporal types as well. So you can format any date times, including old date and temporal. Uh, I've been working on duration formatting. There's list formatting. There's all these various things that you can format, right? But at the end of the day, there is another uh, part of localization, of localizing and internationalizing interfaces, especially in terms of big web applications or big interfaces that goes on, which is literal like message translation. So essentially what you have is is instead of writing literal text or even code in your interfaces, you usually use a templating Mm -hmm. language, right? And this templating language might come in with a tool that does message formatting, where essentially uh, you are giving it labels and label text, and it's going to, at production, replace labels with with specific messages for each locale. So that's the sort of simplest level of this message formatting. Then there's the dynamic aspect that we have had in uh, the JavaScript API, so essentially, At the client side, you can further format using these constructors. Uh, But there's really so many more things that you could be able to do, but maybe the tooling is uh, not there yet, or these tools are just not completely standardized. So essentially what we've been doing in Unicode, uh, which is also something that I've been involved in these days, uh, it's basically another standards organization like any other, is standardizing this new thing called like Message Format V2 or the second edition of Message Format. What this does is it gives you that basic capability of like replacing messages. So if you have a button that says uh, go here or something, you can translate it effectively to any languages, but then it gives you so much more, right? It's basically a programming language at this point. So you have variable replacement (laughs) where you can say something like uh, hello text label, and then username, and it would like actually do the templating. In this case, it's technically templating, right, for you. It would do more complicated things like pattern matching. It, it can uh, select, for example, uh, based on ordinals, genders, plural selections, so you can have things that are sort of oh, wow. in, in a more branched structure, if you will, and, and so much more, like you can invoke custom functions so all of these different formatters that we have will actually be available as custom functions. Uh, no, sorry, as functions. Uh, and you can further provide your own custom formatter functions to this. So essentially it would uh, do everything that templating engines can do at this point and so much more uh, with a special emphasis on uh, the internationalization aspect, right? So... Uh, this wow. is going to be a game changer, I feel, for internationalization, because uh, it really standardizes this format, allowing you to use it across different tools. I feel that people use different like, framework-specific libraries to do this at the moment, and having like a, yeah, yeah. Uh, not just JavaScript-wide, but even an ecosystem-wide, thanks to Unicode, right, would allow us mm-hmm. to just standardize things, make it easier for translators as well as developers to, to do this.
0: Wow, it's actually super interesting. I didn't know about that one. And actually, like, internationalization is something that at Astro we really care about. Uh, we we have our documentation translated in about 14 languages or something. And that's, yeah, I really have to check that proposal out. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Awesome.
2: Yeah, I'm glad. it's It's been a little bit on the down low lately. So mm. this is why you might not have heard of it. That's because most mm. of the actual work that has gone on uh, so far has been Mm -hmm. on the format, right? It's basically a new programming language that has to be designed. Like the other day, we were talking about (coughs) if we should allow people to shadow (coughs) variables or not. So, uh, Mm. well, I mean, that's just too complex for a simple programming language. But I feel that uh, because of this, almost all the work that has gone on till now has been in Unicode. But now, like uh, uh, Emily Yarrow, a colleague from Mozilla, is actually starting to really push this in JavaScript in terms of a, a new sort of uh, API function. So it's going to be really exciting.
1: Awesome, awesome. <laughs> These look like a very uh, life-changing <laughs> kind of features.
2: I would say. <laughs> I hope. I hope. I mean, I, <laughs> I I think that sometimes we can be too conservative, as I've said, in terms of big things, but I think we shouldn't be shy of like uh, adding features at the cost of complexity sometimes, especially when it Mm. can really help developers. Right. I I think it's well understood at this point that um, the, the web is at this very pivotal point right now where uh, the next uh, billion or so users of the web and internet are going to come from all sorts of different backgrounds and, and languages and, I think the web should be ready to sort of accommodate uh, a lot of this diversity. And uh, yeah, like right now, we have, for example, you mentioned, Ellie, in your uh, documentation side, I think they're really great examples of good internationalization on the web. I feel that uh, corporate websites can sometimes be less friendly or like sort of mm-hmm. comprehensive, but they, they, they try for various reasons also to be as translatable. There is certainly a lot of information uh, and, and knowledge on the web that is trapped behind a certain language and a certain format, right? So anything that we do to sort of make uh, more accessible, um, you know, the, the content more accessible would be ultimately better for the next users of the web.
1: So cool. And so um, my last question about the TC39 uh, TC is, are there situations where proposals just don't go the way you would like? How do you kind of decide, okay, maybe that's not a good one. Let's yeah. start again
2: or change. Definitely. I think uh, because of just the vast variety and like uh, diversity of the different people who are involved in the process, it's it's very likely, actually, as opposed to the opposite, that somebody is not going to be happy with the proposal, right? So, uh, for example, uh, you have different uh, sort of groups of people. For practitioners, certain aspects of the language are important, and others not so much. So, uh, so it's it's hard to sort of balance these uh, different groups and their priorities, right? Uh, the W three C, for example, has the priority of constituents, where it says whose needs are, are more important. Are the users more important than the implementers? We don't have a formal document like that. So a lot of this work needs to happen on a, a sort of per case, per individual basis, because it's very important, this social fabric, right? As I said, if the implementers are, are feeling that their feedback has sort of not been cared about enough, or if the community feels that uh, the language is being controlled by uh, not practitioners, but instead by uh, sort of engine developers, I think any of those would result in a breakdown of of diplomacy. So it's very important to keep everybody on board because of this. Uh, But yeah, I think at the end of the day, I think the most important aspect is that we're all here working on essentially the same thing to make uh, a better programming language than yesterday. So I think it's important to focus on the common goal and like work towards that. Uh, And yeah, I think you have to understand that at the end of the day, like people are also trying to, because they are also improving language, also trying to get changes in, to get some uh, feedback in. And as long as you're like receptive and, and you actually put in an effort to like, accommodate their feedback and their concerns, uh, everybody is happy.
1: Awesome. Um, so um, my next question is, like, the usual questions that um, uh, we ask at the end of our podcast. And that would be, like, um, are there any technologies in the web or JavaScript in general or libraries that you are most excited about uh, for the future?
2: Well, Or maybe AI. (laughs) uh, Well, I'm sorry to say, I'm not as excited about AI as I am about certain things (laughs) on the web. Uh, Same. Thank you. But uh, yeah, I definitely mentioned a bunch of things in the JavaScript world that I'm excited about. Uh, In general, I'm very excited about the direction of WebAssembly. I think it's, turning out to be a very solid platform. I'm excited about Wasm GC. I know that people are, not everybody is equally happy with the idea of having a garbage controller inside of of the WebAssembly implementation, but I think WebAssembly shaping up to be a very good platform for doing intensive activity, right? I think that one thing that people misunderstand about JavaScript, and JavaScript sometimes pays the price, is that it is an extremely high-level programming language that is designed primarily to design interfaces. And that's why JavaScript is designed in certain ways. And if you try to make it do intense systems work, it would work in certain cases and not in others. And I think Node, for example, is, is great at that. Like, it, it has made JavaScript pick up a lot of loads where it, it has realized that, okay, like if you think about certain operations on an operating system, they're not so different from the web because you have a bunch of work happening natively in the background, and then you wait for something to happen, and as these events are coming in. So it took uh, this sort of event-driven architecture of JavaScript uh, and, and applied it to a different platform. It kind of works. But you have to understand that at the same time, JavaScript cannot do everything. It cannot replace a system's programming language and do heavy computation. Uh, so I think WebAssembly allows people to, to more freely like deviate from JavaScript where they need to be in order for them to appreciate JavaScript more. I feel that when you force uh, uh, essentially pliers to punch through a nail, you stop appreciating both hammers and pliers. So uh, I think the uh, different new features in, in WebAssembly can actually make even JavaScript more enjoyable to write.
1: Awesome answer. <laughs> and uh, the next question, I think it's the last one. I'm not sure maybe, Adrian, you have a question after that. <laughs> is like, how do you see web development in five years?
2: Well... I feel that it's it's so hard. It's so hard, to, uh, so hard to guess. I mean everything is is old again and then new again and then like uh, I, I felt that when You're I moved
1: going on um,
2: <laughs> Yeah, right? Like I when I moved away from Ruby on Rails years ago and thought like, oh wow, this Angular thing looks really cool. This React things is very <laughs> cool. I never thought that people writing React would come back to the server and, and like start yeah. basically writing Rails apps in React. So it's, it's <laughs> gonna always surprise me. I feel that I, I uh, am, am neither a psychic nor an expert in, in supernatural incidents to actually judge which direction <laughs> the web can take uh, as in, in terms of how technologies go. Uh, but I, I do know for a fact with uh, the direction of the different standards with the the uh direction of different stakeholders different organizations that the web is gonna get better and I, but by that I don't mean uh you know certain iterations of the web or like cryptocurrency or whatever the web as a platform <laughs> web yeah uh, as an in information is gonna get more accessible it's gonna be easier to internationalize because it has no options it is everywhere and it's basically the medium of sharing information i feel that yeah i mean if you're playing on a playstation you're playing video games but outside the interface is all web right and then now with steam decks you have that so if, when it comes to interfaces when it comes to information most of that in one way or another is going through the web and because as more people start connecting to the internet as more people start accessing and demanding data and creating information and content, the web will have to become more equitable and sort of more open in ways. Uh, One example of that is uh, in terms of temporal, like so far you could only think on the web in terms of uh, times and dates in the Gregorian calendar that would very soon no longer be a limitation. Uh, but also who knows like maybe we'll go to other planets and shit so uh, <laughs> the web has to evolve because that, right? it it's to... true
0: like we don't know maybe we have yeah. toasters running on react uh, in...
2: Aren't <laughs> they I, I think somebody posted the uh, other day some toaster that was running like this tiny interface that was written exactly in, in view or something like if
1: yeah, but it happens like there, there was also the the post about web components and the spacex shuttle oh really yeah for the for the navigator yeah that was also wow yeah yeah, i know
0: (laughs) that that a lot of people use the web it's insane and i think actually also like playstation ui for at least a part is react and um, i know that some game i think it was like modern warfare or something also uses react um, which is crazy cool thank you so much for being here usual i still have one question for you um, but it's a very simple one where can people follow you
2: Oh, that's oh, that's yeah. a very interesting question. I don't know really. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I hope not on the street, uh, but <laughs> I I try to go on on various uh, events and conferences all over, uh, and and basically uh, anywhere on the internet. You see the nickname Rise of Kukan, which uh, uh, I, I probably uh, put somewhere. Uh, yeah, yeah,
0: we have it in our descriptions. Don't worry. Yeah.
2: So, uh, yeah, that's that's who I am. Uh, I I would like to say that I'm on Twitter uh, slash X, uh, but not really. I think uh, that's something that has changed recently, but for the better for my mental health. I try to be on uh, Mastodon on different uh, sort of servers, but not as much. Uh, but yeah, like uh, if if you're on Mastodon social or just. I don't know, somewhere, Instagram, uh, you can find me, but uh, mostly just talking on events.
0: Okay, awesome. Good to know. Thank you so much for joining awesome, us. Awesome. It was a real fun episode. I think that Eamon really hard agrees because he's a real TC39 <laughs> fanatic. Um, thank <laughs> you so much for doing this.
1: It's continued love. Thank you both for hosting. Yeah, thanks, thanks a lot. And for the audience, we will be posting the different links for the different proposals in our notes for the episode. So check them out. Check the proposals, they will change your life. And TC39 rules. <laughs> <laughs> oh, also, Amy, I think we, sh- we should yes.
0: still plug something. We didn't mention React Paris at all. And um, actually, our CFP is open. So now, um, if you, um, maybe usual, maybe even you, if you want to come to speak um, in Paris, um, I think it's 24 March out of the top of my head. um, 22nd. Oh, 22nd. There we go. 22nd of March in 2024. um, You can be there as well. We still have um, open CFP. So please submit something if you uh, want to speak about something. I think that's all for us.
1: Speaking about the CFPs, we also have uh, four more days for our CFP for FOSDEM Open. Looking at you, Ojoan. i already Uh, (laughs) filled (laughs) it. Ah, you're ready for the 10. That's cool. (laughs) So yeah, uh, if you want to speak at uh, one of the biggest open source conferences in Belgium, uh, check out the CFP. We will also put the links to our notes. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Eliane and Ojoal. See you. Bye. Bye.